Welcome to San Francisco City Insider, the San Francisco Chronicle podcast on the people in politics making headlines in the city by the bay. I'm Chronicle columnist Heather Knight. I'm here today with Karen Hanrahan, president and CEO of Glide, the famous social service provider and church in the Tenderloin. We're talking about how the live stream church services are going, sadly without the famous Glide Choir, and what we're learning about poverty and homelessness from the coronavirus pandemic. Well, Karen Hanrahan, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Heather. I'm happy to be here. Here, uh, theoretically, but we're not in the same room, sadly. Virtually. <laughs> yes. Exactly. So what has it been like at Glide with its famously uplifting Sunday morning church services canceled in person? How are you making that work? And how is your staff able to minister to the congregation? It's um, like everywhere. This is um, unprecedented at Glide. Um, You know, 95% of what we do is programs and services serving the most vulnerable through early childhood education and meals and violence prevention. We provide so many services to so many people um, that this has been a particular challenge um, um, in terms of making sure we can still provide the most essential services while also protecting our staff and protecting those we serve. Glide is is known for its very personal, up-close approach. Right. We, we get very close up with people on the streets um, in our services, um, we treat everyone with dignity um, on a very personal level. Mm-hmm. And with social distancing, that's brought a particular challenge to our efforts um, um, to treat people in, in this very personal way. But I think we're doing, uh, we have this incredibly committed team. Um, we've sent people home who have underlying health conditions. Mm-hmm. You know, at, at Glide, over 50% of our staff members are from communities that we serve. Um, so we're repurposing staff. Um, you know, some organizations and companies are, are sending home non-essential staff. But for us at Glide, what that would mean, you know, that, that has a complex um, meaning. And for us, most of our frontline staff that are engaging with the most vulnerable, um, they, they are um, essential, mm-hmm. but we also want to protect them. We have people working in offices who can more easily go home, but, but they're, we're having them repurpose and serve meals and serve on the front lines as well. So, so, so you have had some staff become sick. Is that what you're saying? That they had symptoms and no, needed to go home? No, we, we have not, um, fortunately, we have not had staff members get sick. We haven't had symptoms and we haven't had any confirmed cases. We, we are very cognizant not only of protecting our staff from transmission of the virus, but also of having our staff transmit the virus to those that we serve. We don't want to be um, a hotspot for spreading the virus. Mm-hmm. And how are you dealing with the Sunday morning services? Are you able to live stream those or are they just on hold? Or So those are um, being live streamed. Um, we have more people than ever actually joining celebrations on Sunday and joining the live stream. I think everyone's looking for inspiration and hope and community, even if it's online. Mm-hmm. And what about the choir? Are they able to sing or... So 
That is a great question. It's, it's, we're learning about the challenges of trying to practice as an ensemble um, virtually over Zoom. Yeah, that's um, got to be hard. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's hard, and we're finding other ways to inspire um, and motivate people on celebrations. But I do encourage you and others to join on Sundays. Yeah. Um, it, it's still, it's still a, a, an inspirational time uh, full of love, um, and, and we want everybody to join. Okay. And then you're also still keeping up with the social service side of things. And I'm understanding that the line for food is as long as ever. Is that right? Absolutely. It's as long as ever. Um, We are, so really what we're doing is working at kind of three levels on our right at Glide. um, We've adjusted our services to provide really the most essential, which is um, food, harm reduction. So we're still serving um, folks um, who are struggling with drug use and addiction. Um, And then our walk-in center, which provides a really wide range of services to help um, the most vulnerable, including shelter reservations and really just all the, the crises and needs that they have on an everyday basis. So we're still doing that. We've adjusted um, those to have it outside, almost everything is outside of our building, in front of our building. Um, we're doing universal masking now. We're, we're taking a lot of precautions. So that's one level at Glide. Another thing that we're doing um, as a precaution is really engaging more partners for more collective responses in our community. So, you know, working with St. Anthony's, working with... Um, um, various hunger task forces, food security task forces, and others to to work together to make sure we collectively, as service providers, are able to meet the needs of, of those most in need. And then I think the third level is increasingly where we've been trying to work with the city. We want to plug, we've been helping um, we want to provide thought leadership. We want to help them with their planning and also plug into that plan so that we are providing solutions that support the city in a broader way as they try to serve the homeless in a bigger and broader way. Mm-hmm. And with moving everything outside onto the already <clears throat> crowded sidewalks of the Tenderloin, are you able to keep any social distancing? I'm hearing some reports that um, the neighborhood is still pretty crowded and that the message hasn't really gotten across about the importance of staying six feet apart? That is a great, yeah, it's a great question. It's an incredible challenge uh, to reinforce the social distancing. We've done everything from put tape um, on the sidewalks to our, our community safety monitors are managing the line to try to keep people distant. Um, but you're right, there is not a lot of accurate information among the homeless community about how to prevent the virus um, from washing hands, sanitizing, um, to social distancing. And even where there is that information in place, some people just can't do it. They don't have access to um, regular to clean their hands or sanitize um, themselves. They don't have an option of whether to be close to somebody or not because they're not quite as in control of their environment um, as most of us are. Right. 
Um, that leads into my next question, which what would you say the coronavirus pandemic is teaching us about homelessness and poverty? And does it point to any answers that we weren't adopting before? Maybe public bathrooms and hygiene facilities are one big thing we need to do more of. Yeah. So I think, um, I mean, just at a most basic level, I think it's reminding us of this bigger lesson um, of of how our well-being is, is it's connected. So this pandemic is reminding us that that all of our well-being uh, in this city, um, we are all connected in a way that makes it important that we're all concerned about taking care of the homeless and the most vulnerable among us. Um, I think it is there are a lot of lessons that we um, need to be paying attention to. I think our whole mindset needs to be, you know, how do we use this as an opportunity, um, this moment in time and this crisis as an opportunity to, to create new pathways for sustainable solutions for the homeless. And, and I, I do think some of the services, as you're saying, increased hygiene and sanitation, but also, you know, what we're seeing around us with the urgency around this crisis, we're seeing hopeful um, solutions. We're seeing people coming together in a, in a, in a way that really we haven't seen before a seriousness about really getting people off the streets and caring for them. Um, And, and we need to translate those into sustainable solutions for the homelessness crisis that we were facing before this virus um, came around. Mm -hmm. And you were a longtime human rights worker for the UN and a deputy assistant secretary of state in the Obama administration. So you've seen crises up close around the world. How are you feeling about the coronavirus pandemic um, in relation to everything you've seen in your previous work? Are you devastated, optimistic, somewhere in between? So I'm, I am, um, I'm, I'm hopeful. I am, um, I am, you know, like everybody taking it very seriously. You are correct. I've, I've been in crises all over the world of different types. And this is, this is very real um, and, and very serious. Um, what I, I'm hopeful about is the way, particularly now, that people are responding, the seriousness, the collective action. Um, I know we're going to get through it. Um, and I think we'll have a lot of, of lessons that we will have learned from this time. Um, it is, it's an, it's a moment, I guess at Glide and, and in my own kind of personal community, I'm seeing acts of kindness, acts of courage, um, bravery. I mean, the heroes on the front lines of this are the health workers and essential service providers, um, people putting themselves out there in a, in a way that I have seen in other places around the world. And it gives me hope about humanity. Um, these acts of kindness and, and courage are, um, are inspiring. Yeah. I think we're developing a new appreciation for a lot of people in our society, like teachers, now that we have to homeschool yeah. our children <laughs> and right. uh, grocery store workers and um, everybody yeah. else. All around us. Yes. And a lot of, um, you know, a lot of people who, who don't have a choice but to keep going to work um, to find ways to stay employed 
in a way that still is exposing them in ways that um, not everybody has to, you know, not everyone can work from home. A lot of these um, people are immigrants and or, you know, and low income um, families and individuals who are really um, putting themselves out there, uh, some out of necessity, some out of um, collective kind of action. Um, it is, it, it definitely is giving us a window into, um, into um, our community, I think, and, and how diverse it is and, and creating kind of new heroes. Mm-hmm. And having worked for President Obama, how would you say the nation would be responding to this pandemic differently if he was still in the White House? Well, I would, um, I think from the beginning, there would have been um, a great, an, an openness and responsiveness to information, the receiving science, receiving intelligence, um, receiving the information that raised alarm bells early on. I think that's one important thing. I think, um, you know, we, we probably would not have taken so long to get around to taking action to elevating this at a national level um, um, to, to reflect the crisis that it is. And uh, Glide was the site of a mock safe injection site for drug users nearly two years ago, but the city has made no progress in actually opening one for real. Where do those talks stand? And do you think the city just needs to move ahead? So I, so there's progress, you know, on, on safe injection sites, we're just incrementally moving the ball forward. Um, there's, we're expecting state legislation. We're hopeful um, that Governor Newsom will support it as well. Mm-hmm. That legislation is being delayed um, because everything's being delayed yes. uh, at this point. Everything's on the back burner. Uh, exactly, exactly. But but there has been progress. Um, you know, we we service providers really need state legislation and and other um, acts of government that will mitigate the risk for service providers. So, but we're hopeful, and we're we're a lot of. Uh, organizations that we work with, we're working together to really plan uh, to operate safe injection mm-hmm. sites. Would Glide not move ahead to actually be the operator unless that state legislation did pass? So what I, you know, what I think is happening right now is that particularly in this crisis, we're seeing an opportunity um, for safe injection sites um, that is it's basically responding to a need um, in this crisis, which is as we get more people off the streets into shelter, into ho- into hotel rooms, into safer sleeping areas outside, the, the vast majority um, of the homeless population is struggling with um, issues of drug use and addiction. We have to provide space and serious services um, in a more, in a centralized way, you know, we be able to go into all the hotel rooms. Um, you can't serve this population and those needs, um, in, in a, on a one-off individual basis. Yeah. So, so I think what we're seeing here is with the solutions that the city is, is coming up with to serve the homeless population, what they really need in a pragmatic way is something that looks like a safe injection um, uh, space. Um, and so I think this is an opportunity now um, for us in the city to, to make some progress on that. 
I'll be right back with Karen Hanrahan. I'm Heather Knight, and I'm back with Karen Hanrahan, CEO of Glide. Glide and its parent church, the Methodist Church, have been in a heated dispute for a couple of years. You've both sued each other. Can you tell me what's the latest on that and what you think this is really about? Sure. So first, I want to clarify, and this is very important. Um, Glide, you know, the method. We don't have a parent church. The primary, the the entity of Glide is called the Glide Foundation. Um, it, it's not a church. It's a foundation. Um, we're a five hundred one c three. What what we do have is is the Glide Foundation has um, funded and, and operated this incredibly amazing, iconic church in the Bay Area um, in partnership with the Methodist Church. And in that sense, they have provided the pastors to to the church for a long time. You know, Cecil Williams was a Methodist uh, pastor that, that was placed there in, in, um, a few decades ago. So, so um, we have been in um, this dispute. We've been in the middle of, of a lawsuit the good news is that we've um, made a lot of headway on um, negotiating an agreement, figuring out how to um, allow Glide, this incredible organization, to continue on its path of inclusiveness and ra- radical inclusivity, unconditional love um, in, a, in an independent way. Um, so we're we are in the middle of uh, we're finalizing negotiations on that, and we're hopeful. When do you expect that to be final? Well, if you had asked me a few weeks ago, um, I, I would have said um, any day now. But I think because of this virus, we're all everything's moving a little bit slower. So I hope you know within the next few months, um, we will. I believe we'll get to something final. Uh, there are multiple stakeholders involved, so I think I think uh, the next few months we'll have something. And what do you think that will look like for Glide? So I can't say much about it, but I'm 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 happy about it. I'm happy for the Methodist Church about the outcome they'll have. I'm happy for the outcome that Glide will have. Um, you know, the most important thing is that we emerge from this situation with all of our with our values intact, our dignity intact, our love intact, that we treat each other well during this process. Um, people just want to move on. I know people in the Glide community, um, they've already have moved on. They've already, you know, the, the church has, has moved on. The celebrations are stronger than ever. Um, our, our services have moved on. There's really been no disruption or interruption. We just continue to, to respond to the growing demand for all of our services. So, um, so it's, it's, you know, the light, I see, I see the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, and it's, I think it's going to be good for both sides. Great. Uh, you took the job as CEO of Glide nearly three years ago, but are still commuting from Washington DC and your family is still there. Why has it been so hard to move to San Francisco? That is a great question. Um, and, uh, and, you know, we, we have actually relocated um, on one occasion and ended up, um, for complicated reason, reasons, having to kind of scramble to, to move back. Um, it is, 
it's a challenge to move a family to the Bay Area mm-hmm. alone. I mean, just the costs of living, um, everything that goes along with that is it's a challenge. When you layer on top of it, um, some of the just the, the incredible hard work and time spent a couple, you know, the, the crisis with the UMC, this COVID crisis, there's so much going on mm-hmm. uh, that it doesn't leave a, a lot of room for teaching um, and relocate and all that goes along with relocation. So it's, um, I, I, we remain committed to relocating we love the Bay Area. We love San Francisco. We've spent all of our summers there mm-hmm. um, and much more time. You know, we spend a lot of time as a family there. We just, we need to really find that, that solution that, that's going to get us there finally in the end. And how often are you yourself out here? So I've been there um, about every other week. Mm-hmm. So I come a week here, a week there. And you just stay in different places each time or do you have a home base? Um, I, I tend to stay, um, in, in one place when I'm there with my family, we, we tend to do, um, we just, I, then, then we change it up. So, um, we'll have uh, a different location when all of us are there. When it's just me, I, I tend to hunker down by myself so I can work, you know, 20 hours a day. Oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, you've survived the serious questions, and now it's time for the lightning round. What is your favorite place in San Francisco to get a burrito? So I would I, I want to point to a neighborhood here because you know I think when I'm in the Mission, there are so many places to go that are so delicious from the yeah. Taqueria, Taqueria San Francisco. I mean, they're they're all over the place. So that's my favorite area. And you really can't go wrong going into most of the burrito shops there. Yeah. What is your favorite movie filmed in San Francisco? I would say I have a couple. One, um, a classic Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Oh, yeah, that's a good Um, one. Can't beat that. Uh, Also, one that really, that I found very moving and um, is very relevant to Glide's work is Milk. Mm -hmm. Um, The story of Harvey Milk and um, all that goes along with that of the story of someone who has been marginalized and taught that they were wrong all of their lives and, um, and to kind of overcome that and be empowered to be a leader um, and to lead others is, is it's a, it's a moving story. Yeah. Where is your favorite place in the city to get a stiff drink? Great question. <laughs> <laughs> um, Back when the bars were open. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, it, I'm going to have to say a place that I like to go for some a very kind of quiet oasis, relaxing time is, is the, the, the bar at the Four Seasons. It, it's sort of out of the way. It allows me, it's like a little oasis. It reminds me of, when I used to, so I was in Iraq for over two years during this, during active conflict. And there were, you know, there was this one place that you could go inside the green zone that was away from people. It had relaxing music, the sound of water running, you know, there's sort of chaos and, 
and lots of activity and noise outside and you go into this little space mm. and it's, it's, it's a right. little oasis of calm. Yeah. And do you remember what was your first concert? My first concert was Adam Ant. <laughs> oh, that's a first. We have not had that on City Insider. <laughs> oh, you haven't had Adam Ant? Yeah. No. It's, uh, it was good times. What was the last book you read? Um, the last book of so many, um, I read Educated. Oh, yeah, that was really good. That a couple of weeks ago. And then I, I also finally um, got to Hillary Clinton's last book, mm. Hard Choices. And that the third one, and I know you didn't ask for three, but That's I really okay. enjoyed reading um, Ronan's book, Catch and Kill. Uh-huh. Great. Um, and do you like San Francisco or Washington, D.C. better? Consider your audience. Absolutely, <laughs> San Francisco. I actually feel, I feel so wonderful when I am in San Francisco. I love it. It's beautiful. The people are um you know, there it, it's a it's a kind of kinder, gentler um, place than the East Coast. Um, I have really good friends there, a good community. So it's definitely San Francisco. Okay. How often do you talk to Reverend Cecil Williams, and how is he doing? I talk to him uh, most days, and he is doing well. He and his co-founder and wife Janice Murakatani are they're very much um, spending time indoors right now because of the virus and we're uh, we're in touch with them almost daily they are they are hanging in there um, Cecil in particular is um, you know he maintains his sense of humor he still makes me laugh and others laugh and they are fully um, fully engaged in in Glide, just in terms of what they care about. They're, they're not fully actively working on, on Glide all the time, but they care so deeply about Glide and its future. Um, and and they're, uh, they're, they're both hanging in there. They're both okay health-wise? Yeah, yeah, they're both okay, okay health-wise. Good. What is a stereotype about the tenderloin that you'd like to debunk? I think... A stereotype is that um, that it's a scary place, um, that it's a scary place with a lot of crime. You know, I think when you, um, if people could take the opportunity to to do things like Del Seymour's Tenderloin tour, or 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 volunteer at Glide in maybe a harm reduction outreach, or or something else our meals program, et cetera, I think they begin to see the richness of the community mm-hmm. there, the diversity and richness, um, the history, um, along with the struggle and the suffering. Um, but the more time spent there, I think the more people would understand that it, it's not a scary kind of crime-ridden place. It's really a place of, of hope. Last question. What is something you always make sure to squeeze into your busy day? It's definitely um, hugs and kisses from my little kids because it is the thing that sustains me through uh, everything. 
Yes, for sure. I agree. We need those more now than ever. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining me. It was a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you, Heather. I appreciate it. Thank you to Karen Hanrahan for joining me today, to King Kaufman for producing this episode, and to you for listening. If you want to support San Francisco City Insider and the newsroom that creates it, become a member of the San Francisco Chronicle. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash pod. I'm Heather Knight. Thanks for listening.